Welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast that has the science and the screaming to determine what the best movie is of any given year. Before I introduce this week's panelists, know this, that this show is also a game in which points are awarded for well-made arguments, cogent thoughts about the film, jokes, and anything else I feel like awarding. The winner will be my best friend for a week and have gloating rights. We are hot in the middle of our 2002 season, and with me are my hot 2002 friends coming up first... Greg. Whew, Mike, I am so hot and so 2002. I wore my belly chain with little charm on it. Yeah, you did. Yeah. What's that What's that charm? I can't see from here. It is um, a little Tamagotchi. Is it playable? The Tamagotchi. Uh, it is. It's gold-plated, but it's fully playable. I invented nice. this the way the guy from Uncut Gems <laughs> invented the Furby. <laughs> nice. And Ryan is uh, here as well. Hey, Mike. Um, uh, like Greg, I'm also wearing a tummy chain, but unlike Greg, I'm wearing other things as well. So you have a a bone to pick with the fact that we can see Greg's picking bone out right now. <laughs> His picking bone. I mean, bone. I think it accentuates the belly chain a little bit more if you can, you know, it's nothing's covering it up. I've it's I've only been staring at the belly chain. It's like that. Um, Batman his plate is on his chest is yellow yes. to attract bullets. You're, I'm only looking at your belly chain right now. <laughs> this is where I want to get shot, idiot. Right in the center of my chest. <laughs> Fell into my trap. It's good that this happened. <laughs> oh, yeah, bullets still bruise through bulletproof stuff. Belly chain, activate. <laughs> you should see the other bullets. <laughs> now, gentlemen, tonight we are here to talk about, this is our second Spike Jones charlie Kaufman joint. Yes, sir. In another world. Was that in 1999, right? Our very first season and very close to winning the whole thing. Being John Malkovich, Malkovich, Malkovich. So before this week, how amped were you to talk about adaptation? I was super amped. This is like the, this movie is good talking. Like this is the the <laughs> kind of movie that is made so that you can chat about it later. It's enjoyable while you're watching it. It's a a very solid movie, but it's like, oh man, as soon as I get out of these theater doors, I'm just gonna say the hundred things I thought about this movie while it was happening, and then that's where the it really exists. As fast as possible, as smarmy as possible. Yeah, talking over anybody else who talks. Um, <laughs> Spoiling things for the people waiting in line to see it next. Oh yeah, purposely directing my voice at them. There is a part of me. Uh, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. This is one of the most rewatched movies that we've done uh, this season for sure. Um, if not the whole shebang. Um, I was a little nervous this week though because it of the type of movie that it is and the type of people who like it and that are in it and that there's a lot of crossover mm-hmm. between that. Um, there was a part of me that thought that this was a slam dunk winner of the season and before like when we were creating the bracket. Um, before I watched it this week, I was a little queasy about that just because it is like up its own ass, or at least the fans of it are definitely. Um, having watched it again, there's so much more that this movie offers than the sort of obvious, uh, I don't know, spotlighting and also poking at this kind of person that Charlie is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and more, like it sounds hacky, but uh, more is revealed every time you see this movie. There's stuff that I thought about this time that I had never thought about before 
uh, having watched it a billion times. I also you, I I do have to add to that that it's so smart that like sometimes you want to criticize part of it and you're like okay this but also I might just be revealing that I don't get this element of it you know like it's it's kind of a t- intimidating to approach a little bit because it is showing you a lot of things as a way of obscuring some other things that are going on I think and so it's like when it's being its most obvious that's kind of when I think he's trying to be his most obscure. And that makes for confusing. Mm. Like a magician's trick. Like, look over here, look over here, and you're ignoring what he's actually doing. Well, I hope, like, I understand why we might think it's, like, intimidating to talk about a kind of movie like this. But I think one of the main missions of Movie of the Year is, like, you can be dumb chuds. Just talk. Just think about a thing and talk about it, and that's okay. We always, like, I'm constantly discovering stuff that I didn't see because of what you guys have to say about something. So hopefully, hey, listeners. Yeah, do that too. Let's be clear about this. We, the three of us, are can be dumb chuds, or Mike is always the dumb chud. <laughs> well, I feel like every week we pick our roles out of a hat, and yeah, somehow we I get turned. dumb chud more often than not. I've never gotten that one. Um, <laughs> what was your history, Mike? Have you seen this before? I have. Uh, not like when it came out. It's definitely a more recent history, like in the last ten years, and then have watched it several times. To the point. That when I put it on this week, my wife was like, didn't you just do a show about this a couple months ago? I was like, no, I just watched it for fun a couple months ago. <laughs> I, uh, I picked out a movie the other night to watch, and my wife was like, why do you have a show about this? I was like, I actually don't. I just I want to watch this movie-ass movie. Uh, she did When I put on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie on last week, she did not ask, do you have a show about this? She just knew. <laughs> that was for Mikey. Because you love Christy Swanson, the star of that, and all of her um, political leanings. Oh, does she have bad political leanings now? Is she a vampire? I mean, she she has different political leanings than me. I, who's to say if they're bad or not? They're just different than mine. Mm. I was about to give you a bunch of points for just going to town on her for <laughs> being whatever she is, but nope. You had my a- my personal history of this movie is uh, I did not see it in theaters, but I knew I was going to want to see it when it came out on DVD. And uh, when I was at Blockbuster, I was like. I can either rent this and pay like six bucks for it or I can just buy it. And as long as I watch it three times, I'll get my money's worth here. And gentlemen, I'm happy to tell you that in preparation of this show, I watched it for the second and third time and I have made (laughs) my money back on my DVD purchase of Adaptation. (laughs) I'm so happy for you that you made your money back and for sharing that embarrassing story with us, Greg. Happy for you and I think we're happy together. (laughs) <laughs> do you ever sometimes have movies that you love quite a bit but you just end up only watching the one time that's the way i was with this one i just ne- it was never anything against it i've been meaning to watch this movie yes. for 20 years like sallow it, no. sallow come and see uh though the ones that are like yeah it, that are sunset boulevard fucking love but it feels so daunting to dive in again and you're like ah, i'm not i mentally i can't do that so yes, i won't be able to look at my phone the whole time but I need my phone. <laughs> That's where my distractions are. Well, I'm excited to get in, so let's just take the quickest of breaks and then talk about adaptation. After years of struggling to adapt Susan Orlean's The Orchid Thief into a movie, Charlie Kaufman wrote himself and his fictional twin Donald into the movie and made it about his struggles with adapting the book. He only told his friend Spike Jones his new direction and was sure that he would be done with the entire industry, but he just didn't see another way out. The result is Adaptation, a meditation on obsession and writer's block starring Meryl Streep as the fictionalized Arlene and Nick Cage in a fat suit playing the pathetic Kaufman twins. 
Tasty Buds ask you this. I'm sure adaptation tackles so many universal themes and blah, 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 but more specifically, what does adaptation have to say about storytelling? And is it the greatest depiction of what it's like to write and or create in the history of cinema? I think it's tied for first, Mike, with another movie, all of us together. Barton Fink. Barton Barton Fink. Fink. Um, I think those are the two that um, both happen to be about screenwriting because that's what screenwriters know. But I think that if you've ever tried to compose anything, um, specifically the scene of like... uh, should I get a coffee? That'll help me write. How about a yes, muffin? Dude. I don't deserve a muffin yet. That's that's writing <laughs> in a banana nutshell. I love I love the idea of I should get a coffee. It'll help me think. No, wait. I should write a little bit and then reward myself with coffee. <laughs> it is. Yeah. You, you starve yourself out. You try to like trick yourself into doing a thing you profess to want to do and or for him paid to do. But it's still you create your own hell. That one is thing, what it means to create something. One thing that's challenging about the movie is that the movie itself exists. So we know that he enjoys some level of success in creating the movie because we are, we're like holding it and we put it in the machine and we're viewing it and everything. Um, and I think that the movie does a lot to overcome that, even though that is a nearly insurmountable challenge. Like we watch him build this bike as he rides it down the road, which is impressive. Which is hard to say. <laughs> I, I think also the movie works on so many levels, but I think just as a movie as movie works that I every fifteen minutes I'd be like, wait, I'm watching the thing he's writing. Yeah. But it was a, a consistent reoccurring thought. Well, yeah, because I think that like all these levels that you talk about, um, the the rail is getting laid down in front of the train or building the bike so smoothly and successfully that it's not necessarily you just keep reminding yourself of the same level but there's this whole new wrinkle or completely additional level to it um where what is fact what is fiction what is susan what is charlie what is donald at a certain point um that he's just always this like smooth step ahead of you laying down the track and the the other part about that like is very much about storytelling is we talked about like the reward element of it but there's also the just absolutely beating the hell out of yourself like just like either uh in the quiet desperation of like your own the dark corners of your mind or in almost like the gleeful way he does it in the second half of the movie where he's like coughing balding fat miserable (laughs) (laughs) and see like i think that's that's so crazy too because to get past to get this past anybody to get this past susan orlean or um, the, the producers or the executives at the studio. Like, that's so crazy to me. And I think a part of it is that I think there was a quote from Susan Orlean when this was coming out that said, I can't, of course, I'm not going to let this happen because look how bad I come off. And everyone was just like, look how bad he comes off. <laughs> right. And he's the one that wrote it. Um, you know, showing him like jerking off to any girl that he meets so every girl that he meets every girl that he meets and it's so pathetic all of the listening of what he does um but there's like did you guys feel the sense of is he trying to beat us to the punch this yeah there's so much smoothly like being laid down here but also is there i'm gonna say this about myself before anybody else can say it what we call eight miling in the biz right it's especially like with the Judy Greer character, who's the waitress at the diner who offers it, she's nice, and they bonded over both liking orchids. 
So he then invites her to an orca show in Santa Barbara, which is like our that is a weekend trip. He invited this woman he does not know to. That's tenth I date bet, shit. Yes, that there is either a draft of this or a worse writer who that is where the story goes now. And so I think he's like, even her smiling at me is going to make people think like, oh, look at the writer thinking pretty girls will like him. So he's like, well, I will make myself look like such a piece of shit so they cannot think that because I thought it first. And, and he really does, does he pull that off, off though. I think he does. Yeah, because I think that there is I think you can judge the Charlie Kaufman character in this in such a harsh way that the movie doesn't like nudge you in the side to join you with. And I here's why I think it is. Like I think that they show him never actually inquiring about any woman like what her interior state is like. I I would say the Charlie Kaufman character in this movie does not think that women have the sort of rich interior landscape that he does. And so he never asks them about like what they do or what they're interested in. Like when the waitress starts talking about orchids, she says, I like orchids. If you are trying to talk to somebody, what you say is like, Oh, what do you like about orchids? Or like, what is it? What's your favorite orchid? Or like, do you have any history with orchids? And instead he's just like, Oh, there's this one that you think is a parasite, but it's not. And I feel like, I feel like he's not beating us to the punch there as much as really legitimately self-flagellating. And I don't think it's just a thing for women in this movie. I think it's for everybody. You know, there's like this weird thing about people in general where um, the ones who come off super brash and secure are completely insecure. And the ones who come off like this, what we don't see is the tremendous ego behind it. Like this, this person... His ego is so disgustingly large that it comes off as timid. It comes off as like he's our new, our generation's Woody Allen. But what is really happening is that he can't, he is the main character of everyone's story, you know, and everyone he touches and all they are are two-dimensional side characters. Charlie Kaufman, the writer of this actual movie that we wrote, is better at fleshing out side characters than the main character of this movie as the writer or the thinker, are you with me? Because he, <laughs> he only right. sees cardboard cutouts and all he can think about is who is he in their eyes. Right. That, that's when, uh, oh, I forget who said it, but where timidity is a weapon. You, like there's a, there's a level of shyness and timidity where it's like, fuck you. you you're so arrogant. Or kind of like uh, Liz Lemon theory. Right. Where she goes back and people are like, oh, you were a monster. Well, a big part of it is he doesn't, because he doesn't like, he doesn't put anything on the line. He doesn't expose or risk himself that much so that he can keep all his petty grievances so that he can, you know, be sort of like the king of his own empire of dirt or whatever. So like it, it, I think that's where it comes from is he doesn't want to let anybody have any sort of judgment of him because he's in perpetual judgment of everybody around him and lives with the, the biggest one, like the, his like uh, perpetual punching bag and the person he hates the most. Right. Yeah, the person that he both like the only one of the only people that he like seems to visibly think he's better than, and then at the same time seem to be to know that there's so many levels on which he is actually worse than. Yeah, and he's super and jealous. So it drives him into this weird spiral. Right when, when towards the end when he goes, you're oblivious, and Donald's like, "No, I'm not." He's like, "I I meant it as a compliment." Like he's like, "I wait," and even that is so condescending. Like, yeah. no, no, no. I wish I wasn't this smart and saw everything. And ultimately, like. Some of his 
ideas are as avant-garde and cutting edge as he seems to think they are but he also seems on some level to be aware that like the sort of meta theatrics is not something that like charlie coffin the man or the character invented and like mm-hmm. you know putting himself as the artist at the center of of something that he has no part in that's not like a wholly original idea there's not that many original ideas left but like we can go far back into time to find you know meta commentary within texts as like a way of exploring the complexity of life and so that's not that much fancier than you know some of what he like accuses donald of doing instead uh, i think uh serial killer cop and victim who are all in one person's head yes i think that charlie kaufman the character in the movie is a worse writer uh i think and it's because like you were saying like the meta isn't because I have ideas, the meta is an armor to protect against me exposing myself to like what I actually think humanity is like. I think that the actual our Earth six one six Charlie Kaufman <laughs> does have more to say about humans, but um, this one doesn't, and so he wears that as a shield so he doesn't actually have to expose himself. One of the most telling parts about storytelling as a whole, and then storytelling <laughs> in the movie about how the story starts is when he, uh, I think his first meeting with his, uh, I don't know if it's an agent or manager, I think it's just like a studio exec who owns the rights to uh, Orchid Thief, but played by Tilda Swinton. And she's like, uh, we want you to turn this non-linear like linear story told book into a movie. And his response is like, well, I just, I don't want to like add like false romance or car yes. chases or drug use. I just, I, I don't want it to be that kind of movie. And she's like, well, I don't really know what that means. And his response is like giggling and says, I don't really know either. And that's so interesting because I think there's this line between like, I'm full of shit and I sort of know it and you sort of know it, but also, or is it like, I don't want to let on that I, I know that I'm smarter than you. I'd rather be flirty instead, whatever my sweaty flop ass version of flirty right. is. So much well, sweat. I mean, I think it's all, I think it might be because ultimately his way of expressing it will be in the final script. And so he doesn't have like the conversational words for it. He has to like, you know, he has an, underst- an artistic understanding of it that he has to, like, give birth to. But well, well, real don't, Charlie does. Don't right. you feel Movie Charlie like, does not. Especially Movie, yeah, like, hold on one sec. Movie Charlie does not, and that's why he gets all giggly with it, you know? He, yeah. doesn't, he doesn't treat Tilda Swinton <clears throat> like he would treat Donald if Donald asked that same question. He, because he's a little unsure, he's, and he's intimidated by this woman that he will, of course, goes without saying, jerk off to later. Oh, man. <laughs> Uh, and this is probably more for like movie Charlie Coffin than in real life Charlie Coffin, but especially being on this show, don't you feel like there are a lot of versions of the type of movie he's talking about that like he just means he wants to make that type of movie and he wants it to be like a Hollywood popular movie. Like there are movies where people don't change that much and not that much mm-hmm. happens and people sit around being sad. Like that's not actually that rare. No, like, I mean, thing. what he's talking about is an independent or foreign film. <laughs> like, yeah, right. that's he's talking about European movies. So like, I, why like those exist? <laughs> Europe's a real place. But I mean, for I think <laughs> yeah, where Hogwarts is. Oh, is that on the round part of Earth, Greg, where it's not flat? Okay. Um, I think that he is trying to do two things, which is. Um, sort of make something that isn't Hollywood bullshit, but also keep that line in there, keep his cachet because being John Malkovich has sort of propelled him into the stardom. Yeah. So like, I want the money and right. fame that Hollywood brings, but I want to see if I can do something that isn't a Michael Bay right. movie. I want to be in the system 
telling everybody how bullshit the system is. Right. And is I mean, what a fucking douchebag is that? I want to yes. go to Hollywood and show everybody how it's done, but all they want me to do is make wrestling pictures. <laughs> it all comes back to Barton Fink, everybody. <laughs> if this movie was ten, made 10 years after this, he would have said he's a disruptor, for sure. He said, he would, I'm going into this Hollywood studio system and I'm going to disrupt things. Well, uh, I think we covered literally every aspect of how this <laughs> deals with storytelling. There's no more time to do that, but that's okay because we've done it. It's done, everybody. You're welcome. It's done. If Charlie Kaufman's out in. there and he wants to adapt this podcast into a movie, go for it. Yes. Adaptation 2. It's what the kids have been waiting for. We're going to take the quickest breaks, and when we come back, we're going to visit a little mountain. Mount Rushmore! And now, of course... We're on the veranda behind the majestic Pop Filter Studios in sunny Burbank, California. And look at all the mountains we've built in the past. Wow. So 2002. We can't look at the other mountains because we, we raise them to the ground and then build new mountains. That is the kind of gods we are. Was there a word? Raise the old ones and raise the new ones. Is there a word for words that mean both things? Right. Yeah, I mean, the thing, and they're opposite. Like dust is when you put you dust dust on something, but you also take the dust off something. Yeah. Whoa. Very cool. I haven't thought about dust dust. <laughs> uh, sorry. Ash? No. Wait, keep going. Now, no, now I'm just thinking of words like that, but I can't. You guys did it. Flammable and flammable. No, that's not the same thing either. <laughs> what a country. <laughs> you guys are smart. Uh, so, this mountain is not to presidents, but something related to 2002. What, you may ask? Trends. Every year had its trends. What were O2s? Greg, take it away. All right. 2002, you're cruising into the party. Things are already getting a little rowdy. Everybody is cir- like kind of circled around the television. What's going on here? What kind of party is this? Oh, it's because everyone's playing a little game where you get to jump in a car, drive down the street, run over somebody, get out, shoot someone in the head, get in a new car. And apparently this is all anybody wanted. We, nowadays, we know that this is all anyone in America wants to do. But we were like sort of discovering it together in 2002 as we played Grand Theft Auto 3. Came out the end of 2001, but 2002, like it was just sort of a party staple for a while. You take turns driving a big truck the wrong way down the street uh, and gave us a lot of entertainment in a three-dimensional space. Hitting protesters, shooting kids who ring on your doorbell. Just na, like na, 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 doing really na, awful na, na, things and being like, man, the game lets me do this. It's like, okay, why does your conscience let you do it? It doesn't matter. Well, next you're going to say me taking the ladder out of the pool in Sims and watching them drown and laughing says something about me. <laughs> no, that's just normal, regular Thank human you. behavior. I did then apply to be a lifeguard and didn't got denied. Ryan. GTA. Oh, sorry. It's on the it's on the maybe pile. We're gonna <gasps> keep things interesting. Oh no, Ryan, what's yours? Um. Okay. Uh, okay. I'm glad. I'm glad Greg said that because I always get confused by this one every season. Like, how is it not fashion? But this is not fashion. Oh man, it's so hard to say. You were gonna do research by just googling whatever the segment was called. You had to really pick through the things that were not like not every not every trend is a fashion trend. Some trends are different things, people. And these are non-fashion trends, correct? Yes, they can't be fashion. Yes. Because we did fashion, yeah, yeah, eight episodes ago, and this is not presidents of two thousand two. <laughs> no, yeah, unless they were trendy, <laughs> and but it's I don't definitely think this one was trendy. It's definitely not. Um, it's not um, controversies. No, nope. so, scandals like, it's are like a very 
It's kind of toys, Ryan. I think it's like popular toys at the time. <laughs> popular toys and maybe TV shows. And Greg's one's a little dicey because I remember the parties that I went to, not that Greg went to, but the ones that I went to, like people, it was couture and people were wearing dresses made of copies of Grand Theft Auto 3 on PlayStation 2. So I don't know, is, is that fashion? Is that scandal? Who knows? Um, <laughs> let's, <laughs> okay, drop pad knows. Um, <laughs> I'm going into the same party that Greg's going, but not everyone's around the TV, Mike. Everyone is around, uh, a different half of the people are around a table. Because what was lame in 2001 is now cool in 2002 and has stayed cool for nigh on 21 years as I look at the calendar to see what year it is now. And I think that if I did my thinking correctly, that 2002 was when board games went from shit in your grandma's closet that you don't care about to like trendy and we were like there were people that collected them and now all of a sudden they're like sixty dollars because they come with cool <laughs> pieces and shit i was terrified you were gonna say 9-11 when you're like not cool in 2001 but then in 02 i thought when you said that you were to a party and everyone was around a table i mean was this like cocaine 2002 <laughs> big year for cocaine why don't we focus on what i did say instead of what i didn't say you fucking rush more hacks what did you right. say, though? That I just went right good. back to thinking what I was thinking. Uh, uh, cocaine. More cocaine for he your said, head. He <laughs> said cocaine 9-11, I think is what Ryan <laughs> said. Uh, board games. Uh, I love it. It's on the maybe pile. Greg. Ooh, this guy This guy is hard to, hard to impress, Ryan. Yeah. I've been told that last episode I put everything on the mountains, so I'm trying to do the opposite of that. What mean person told you that? Um, okay. 2002, we needed entertainment that told us one thing. We needed the message that torture was okay, it was going to get results, and it wouldn't take that long. In fact, we might only have 24 hours. Uh, People loved the show 24. Uh, Anyone watching it now would be like, this is terrible, and I think these are all war crimes. Jack Bauer just ran around war criming, but the country really was like hungry for war crimes. And I'm sorry, if if your name is Jack Bauer, I'm probably going to listen to you. Like That's some good screenwriting right there. Uh, it's so close to Jack Power. Right. And that's so it's close to Nintendo close. Power, the best magazine of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nintendo course. Power right on the mountain. <laughs> Power Glove. You know, that's kind of an obvious so one. Bad. Bloody Glove. Uh, but the show, 24, Mike. Greg. Yeah, 24. Climbing didn't up we this ha- charge. Didn't we have a TV, Rushmore? I don't understand how this works. Nobody does. But Greg earlier said it's, it's trends, toys or right? it's TV. Yeah. Oh, now I see how Greg laid some groundwork to make me go, hmm, yes, it is also TV. So the trend I'm was no people. big city lawyer. <laughs> talking about it. I can't take things off the mountain once they're on. The points have been given. The Jack Bauer face has been carved doing some war crimes. Ryan, what do you got? <laughs> I, this is, I, in, in my life, this is one of the few war crimes that have ever been co- uh, committed directly to me or on me. Um, <laughs> what just happened? Yes, what just happened? Uh, we needed it. I'm going to say TV in all of television shows. Super trendy back then. How about this? We needed entertainment, and what that entertainment was was a rect- uh, like a long rectangle that gets longer. How were you watching that rectangle get longer? On your flip phone, you were playing Snake. Yeah. Flip phones. Flip phones. Flip phones were wow. where it was at. And playing Snake, remember that? That was like... That's the first video game I can ever remember being on a phone. And it was like, I think this is the beginning of something. And it definitely was. (laughs) 
of never talking to your friends by looking them in the eye again. You talked to one friend, Snake, as you cheered him yeah, on. dude. Eat that apple, Snake. Get it. Uh, you got to coil around apples. yourself, Snake. Greg. In 2002, that we know that the movie Attack of the Clones came out, and everybody remembers that people stood in line and camped out in line for Phantom Menace, but some of us also did it for Attack of the Clones. It was way less cool. Um, the movie was right. way worse and perhaps even more disappointing <laughs> to view. <laughs> and we still did the thing where when we came out, we went, no, that was good, right? That was better. Because it, it ends with a Yoda Count Dooku fight. And so you're like, ah, maybe I had fun. I don't know. Oh, that man, that looked like shit even then. <laughs> Waiting in line for Attack of the Clones, Mike. No. <laughs> Not even on the maybe pile. Didn't even say maybe. You just said no. <laughs> waited a while. I was looking to be like, "Hey, whiteboard, is there a category below maybe?" But no, <laughs> I just don't need to write it down. Ryan, uh, Mike, when I'm going to that party that me and Greg went to, uh, I, oh, yes, let's bring it back to the party. <laughs> hey. I'm going. Uh, I'm shining the beer for tequila first and foremost. I uh, pay my three in. I'm going past the GTA. I'm going past the board games. I'm going past the couch of people on their phones playing Snake. And I'm going <laughs> downstairs where the real party was until Oprah fucking ruined it. It's the Rainbow Party. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, the trendiest shit of 2002. <laughs> a thing that definitely probably existed. It was the plight of American teens. <laughs> and guys, society was almost over. As we, we almost watched society crumble. Because... Boys couldn't come because <laughs> girls with multicolored lipsticks were, were edging no, boys. Like it was not girls with multicolored lipsticks. Every girl had okay. a different colored lipstick. Yes, we're not. It's not one girl. Although, man, what a, that's a shitty job. <laughs> one girl putting rainbow lipstick on. No, it's you a, just get the lipstick. That's all the colors. Just like you can paint plaid in cartoons. Basically, these things are all like okay, you guys. There's this new controversy that's making teens horny. But it's not like in any way that any teens have actually ever literally been horny. Teens are horny. It's not like it's not an emergency. But like, (laughs) it's not an emergency. Oh, I called nine one one, nine eleven, nine one one. There's horny teens outside. (laughs) What are they doing? Being horny. (laughs) And then adults make up all these really weird stories and then decide they believe them. And it's just like, we were all teenagers. Nobody was doing anything like that ever my favorite like the best part about it though it's not the oprah it's not the blowing it into like the out of way out of proportion it's they, they thought teenagers were horny and they were gamifying it so it wasn't <laughs> just get blowjobs it was get the most colors and then you win they're trying to snakeify <laughs> their blowjobs and their little orgy parties just between Giving us Dr. Phil, Dr. Oz, and Rainbow Parties. Does Oprah suck? Uh, Jenny McCarthy. She also gave a platform to Jenny McCarthy's anti-vax shit. Cool. Yeah. You know what, Oprah? You can go suck a fuck. <laughs> That's the official stance of movie of the year. Was that Maggie Gyllenhaal, star of Adaptation? Indeed. It was. Man, Rock remember the first time you see her in Adaptation and you think she's standing there as Maggie Gyllenhaal? <laughs> yeah. Next to Catherine Keener. And then you're like, oh, no, wait, she's playing. She's she's acting right now. <laughs> Kathy uh, Keener's herself, but she's somebody different. That's always fascinating to me on shows like Curb, where yeah. you get the call and you're like, oh, I'm going to be on Curb, so I'll play cop number one. What the fuck? <laughs> Why well, the Sykes? Rainbow parties. Parents freaking out about rainbow parties is on the mountain. Uh, also, wouldn't it have... all just become like a weird brown? Yeah. 
taste. Like, well, no, because the first girl deep throats it, and the next girl just. I don't think about this anymore. The next wanna, guy. I, I don't know why. I shouldn't have turned. Ask the a question, back to get it. an answer. That was a bad idea. But that's podcasting rules. Ask a Jeeves, <laughs> get a Bing. Your Mount Rushmore of trends that are not fashion, <laughs> but might be and TV not scandals, <laughs> or occasionally TV. <laughs> We definitely understand the monster we created of 2002 are 24 flip phones, rainbow parties, and Grand Theft Auto 3. <laughs> Let's bring O2 back, baby. <laughs> We're going to take the quickest breaks, and when we come back, more adapting things. Hey, guys, thank you so much for listening so far. And let me just tell you that everything ahead of this commercial is much better than what came before it. That's my guarantee. While I have you here, let me tell you about a website. It's called yourpopfilter.com. And it's everything you need that's related to pop filter. Everything Mike, everything Ryan, everything Greg, everything Cassie, everything is there at yourpopfilter.com. While you're there, go to yourpopfilter.com slash Amazon. Make that your new Amazon bookmark and do your shopping from there. That way we get a little piece of the action and Amazon doesn't. Make sure you're also listening to everything that Pop Filter has to offer, which includes the Superhero Show Show, a podcast that covers every single TV show that's based on a comic book or comic book property, and Movie of the Year, where we sit down and try and figure out what is the single greatest movie of any given year. That's Superhero Show Show, that's Movie of the Year, and that's yourpopfilter.com. Rate, subscribe, review, bye! My tasteful friends. Why did Charlie invent Donald? Beside being hilarious, what does Donald add to our understanding of the movie? I mean, I think there's like a an easy answer that's still important of something that Charlie has imagined in in real life. Charlie has imagined as like this person who he hates but has it all, you know? Like there's this ignorance is bliss kind of quality that Charlie definitely admires in him, but it's it's we learn throughout the movie that it's so much more than that. It's uh this this confidence that is built from just being okay with yourself, being comfortable yeah, in your own skin. It really it's he's a little bit dumber. He's not he's not completely dumber. He's only actually just a little bit dumber. It's like he got hit in the head a couple extra times, and it's not like he's the perfect version of Charlie because he has like a bad back. He's also balding. Although I feel like the movie kind of right. reveals that. Like he when also- they're to get like for a while it feels like he's got the better hairline but then when they're mm-hmm. working together it's almost like a reveal like oh he's as bald as his brother is he also screams out at parties uh we're gonna go home and for uh, some pushing in the bushing or whatever he says and that's not that's I, not a great thing to say you, you know how we talk about like in pilots like in mad men how do you make don draper instantly better than everybody around him he's nice to a black guy uh-huh. Uh, for me, it's like how are we gonna get people on charlie's side right away donald said that it took the rest of the movie for Donald to win me back over. But, but see, he, there's something so honest about it, yeah. though, isn't there? Because Charlie is a way worse, like, gross misogynist than his brother is. But, he's but he like, does it privately like the rest of us, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> and if you if you watch Maggie Gyllenhaal's not Maggie Gyllenhaal reaction of just like, oh, stop. But it is genuine. Like, mm-hmm. you are making me laugh right now. It's That's what Charlie is searching for in every relationship he has is I'm not... I'm basically intimidated by your intimidation, Charlie, and I, I would rather not be around you anymore. Um, that's his typical reaction. Yeah, imagine like Ryan. his date in the beginning of the movie 
giving him absolute like bedroom eyes and be like, do you want to come in? And it's not that he's not getting the message. He's getting the message and he's just being like, I'm too afraid. I'm too yeah. afraid to do it. I'm too afraid, but also if I step too far, if I open myself up and I get rejected, that is giving you this power over me that my tremendous ego will not yeah. be able to deal with. Right. His his masturbatory fantasies will always be perfect. So why would he go in and ruin real life with that? Which is, I think, part of what uh, Brian Cox yells at him about, being like, nothing happens in real life, and it's because he's frozen all of the time. I think the more uh, the other important thing about the Maggie Gyllenhaal, like the push in the bush scene, is that that's sort of the only time that we see Donald away from Charlie or like in charge of the Charlie is there. But like typically we're looking at Donald through Charlie's eyes, Donald being that tiny puppy in the cartoon that's always bouncing around the larger puppy going like, what are we going to do today, Spike? You know, Donald is so like enamored with Charlie and wants his approval, but He's so straightforward and honest about it, you know. Like right, yeah. that's that's the thing that's harder to handle. Is not that like you're not, it's not that you're a loser because you need my approval. It's just that you admire me and you're not scared of admitting that. Which that's so much like that's so right. powerful, you know. And he's also not right to he's Michael not, Scott. He's also not afraid of admitting that like he's impressed with himself. Uh-huh. Like if he accomplishes yeah. something, he feels good about it, and he'll just say that. But right. Charlie Kaufman can't s- just say like I'm proud of what I did with being john malkovich like i'm proud that i made that that i wrote that script and that it's so good and so he resents so much this version of himself that he created that can just feel that because he would love to feel that he would love to feel proud about something he's done and i'm not sure the real guy gets that really as three people who i would say are much closer to charlie than donald i like to (laughs) and i guess mike is mike is the closest to donald i think if we're gonna pull the curtain back a little bit but still if any of the three of us said to the to anybody else um mom thought it was psychologically taught is that what he says yeah that i mean that would like we mom's great with structure we would throw (laughs) up with cringe like we would throw up on our shirts because we Uh, just can't be that open and honest and genuine yeah because it's like because Donald is willing to have somebody mock him and just be like, that's fine. That's like, your it's, mocking. It's not my mm. business how right, you feel right. about me, which sounds really good. There is something creepy about his I'm going to love you whether or not you want me to. I, I like the idea of someone's opinions aren't any of your business, but the like, I'll love you if I want to just came off. Mm. I thought a little weird, but it wasn't. It right. did. It, it, there was nothing stocky about it, at least in the story. Like no. there wasn't like I'm gonna follow you home. It's just that my, the hearts in around my head. Like when I think about you, you can't do anything about that. You know, if you make fun of me, you know, you can tell me that you're not gonna be with me. But my feelings are my feelings. Yours are yours. Why would they have any effect on well, each other? What's interesting there, and there is the good version of that, right? Like just live your life, be who you are, and a lot of Donald. But there is the that means reality does not affect Donald. Yeah. And I think this is because Donald is Charlie, right? Like the real 616 Charlie reality there, though, created Mike? both of these. Well, it's reality is if you love somebody and they're cruel to you behind your back, you're not letting reality. You're like, well, I'm still in love with this cruel person. But Donald knew uh, that they had made fun of him. Right. I'm saying he doesn't let reality affect his feelings. And so his out of touch, I think Donald is not supposed to be only good and Charlie is only bad in the no, movie. Yeah. I think both of these are bad tendencies of Charlie. And even his uh, Donald is what 616 Charlie aspires to be, but he could not think of a perfect version cuz then it would be Nick Cage without a fat suit 
with good hair and would not be cringe ever and would ruin the entire be. movie. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, think about this. Like that when we find out, like they're they're hiding in a swamp uh, uh-huh. about to be murdered <laughs> when they have this conversation about how Donald reveals that he knew he was being made fun of, but that those were her opinions and not had nothing to do with his opinions. This is syrupy and this is Hollywood and this is treacly, but Kaufman has allowed himself and us to be in this part where we're now post McKee, post Donald taking over the movie. And so it all works perfectly. And because like Donald represents something that's knocking at the door for Kaufman, right? Like he, he doesn't invent a brother so much as I think there's like, it's important to keep in mind that the script that Donald writes is about people experiencing multiple personalities. Like it, it very much is like a multiple personality he invents and then teaches him a lesson. But it also seems like there's constantly this image of like he's at the door and he needs to be like welcomed in. Like Charlie Coffin can't seem to mm. just like let convention come and play as well. Let a, let something a little bit more normal be a part of the story. Not perfect, definitely not perfect. Stupid, but also kind of like Mr. Peanut Butter from BoJack Horseman. Like there is a quality there. There is something there, and let it in. And if you are BoJack, to you know, if Charlie is the BoJack of that show. You force yourself because of your superiority to think of themselves, uh, to think of Mr. Peanut Butter and Donald as lower than, as stupid, yeah. as like not worthy of anything. Right. Because you, you, two, you, two, you force two dimensionality onto them to well, make yourself feel better. But I think both extremes are bad, right? And the movie, I think, tries to get to that point is going straight down the middle, making Hollywood bullshit is dumb. And people who enjoy that are dumb. But thinking you're better than any of that and trying to make highfalutin, this is art in the Hollywood system is just as dumb. Especially if the thing that you're responding, you're responding to the same thing, but just in the right. opposite way. I mean, it's like kind of like, yeah, every high schooler does that, you know, like finds the opposite way of how other people feel and then right. tries to feel that way. You know, as of this recording, Donald Kaufman is on strike. <laughs> Good for about. him. Donald I'm Kaufman. He's not crossing the picket line. Donald Kaufman legitimately has an Oscar. Like, in the Oscar a- annals of time, like Donald Kaufman has an Oscar. And I'm sure there's a bunch of people who, what, my wife being one of them, I don't think that's bad if I throw it under the bus, who thought for years Charlie had a brother who only let write one movie with him. Charlie oh, had a brother and he bit his finger. <laughs> if we go back to, I think, 2002 viral videos. Well, that's all the time we have for Donald. We're going to take the quick as a break. And when we come back. Hola, Felterinos. I just wanted to interrupt real briefly and say thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. If you want to support us a little more directly, you can go to patreon.com slash your pop filter. There, depending on what tier you pick, $1 a month, $5 a month. If you're crazy, anything more than $5 a month, don't do that. You can get extra content. There's extra shows, extra series, uh, behind the scenes stuff. Uh, you could pay for Ryan to draw you a picture. Uh, I can write you a poem. You can get the shirts off our very own backs. All of that and so much more over at patreon.com slash your pop filter. While you're on the internet, you should check out Shady Monk. He does all the tunes you've been listening to. He's on Bandcamp. He's on Spotify, uh, SoundCloud, wherever kids get their music these days that I'm too old to know. Shady Monk lives there. Uh, you can probably follow him on Twitter and Instagram as well. That's Shady Monk. Wherever you get music, check him out. For real this time, you all know the rules. I 
say a question. When I am done, you ring in with your name. You get it right, you get a point. Ryan. Easy peasy. Ryan, yes? Wouldn't it be ask a question? What did I say? Say a question. <laughs> Ryan. I guess because it's adaptation, pedants get points tonight. <laughs> I thought that was a Greg point for sure. Which is good for this crowd. Greg. But you need to be confident. <laughs> True or false? Charlie Kaufman really does have a twin. He just died in the womb. Ryan. Greg. Greg. False. Greg. That's a thing I made up. Yes, I, I liked it. Ryan. We don't don't you don't have to slide <laughs> over it. <laughs> Who was a stand-in for Nick Cage? Ryan. Yes. His twin. Are they twins? It's you know what? Fuck it. It's close enough. Ryan. It is, yeah. His brother Mark Coppola. And sometimes Charlie Kaufman, at least in one scene. <laughs> That's fucked up. How is Spike Jones's ex-wife connected to this movie? Ryan. Yes? She is the star's cousin? Yeah. Or, let's see. Ryan. <laughs> Sophia Coppola. Yeah. Which actor shows up for the second time this moody season? Oh, Greg. Greg. Uh, I think there's a couple. Chris Cooper is one, Greg. and then Brian Cox from that same movie. Oh shit! Greg. Bonus point. I wasn't even thinking about Boo. same movie. So oh, if, no, if Greg had said Brian Cox verse, you would be like, nope. It's Chris nope, Cooper. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what can I say? I would have gone, huh? And then given a point. Uh, true or false? No one has actually ever read The Orchid Thief. Ryan. No one. Ryan. Uh, Charlie Kaufman has. So false. Greg. Ryan. Yes, Greg. True. Greg. That's the answer I wanted. Nobody <laughs> read it. I went to school. I went to several schools for nonfiction writing. Never met a single fucking classmate who read that book, <laughs> even though we all should. Do you guys remember? I don't know if we have a segment dedicated to this later, but when she got shit-faced a couple years ago and started tweeting? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I remember that. <laughs> Man. She was at like some wine party and drank way more than you were supposed to. And then that became her thing for a while. Yeah, she yeah. was like, I guess I'll lean just, into this. Yeah. Didn't hate on trans people. Somehow avoided that. No. Well, she wasn't on Ambien. Uh, She's also a good writer. <laughs> oh! Greg. Uh, where are we at? <clears throat> what other Moody season has Chris Cooper showed up in? Ryan. Greg. Ryan? The first one, Mike. American Beauty, 1999. Ryan. Shit, come on down. 99. He, uh, he had that uh, Harlan Crow thing of he likes to collect Nazi memorabilia. For fun! Mm. But he did not have that Harlan Crow thing of bribing a Supreme Court justice every year. They're just really good friends. You know how I constantly send you and your wives on vacation and I don't go and I pay for your kids' schooling? It's uh -huh. the same kind of thing. <laughs> well, you got that podcast money. I got that podcast money. What WB show does Mike often think Chris Cooper starred in as a villain and a sheriff even though he didn't? Ryan. Ryan? <laughs> Smallville. No. That's a good guess. Greg. Same era. Greg? Riverdale. Ooh. Ryan. No. That is technically CW. I'm going to be this kind of prick with this. This is an uh, old no, show. This right. should give a hint. Uh, Ryan? Yes? One Treed Hill. Ooh. No. Greg. Get one more guess. Supernatural. <laughs> uh, Dancing It's Roswell. Oh. <laughs> the show was Roswell, but it was not Chris Cooper. It was William Sadler. 
Which brings me to my next question. <laughs> what sequel comedy does William Sadler co-star, even though he was not in the first? Ryan. Ryan. Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Ryan. That is true. Plays death. Who's, and remember, this is the adaptation trivia. Whose career would Roswell launch into numerous rom-coms in the 2000s? Ryan. Ryan. Uh, Catherine Heigl. Ryan. I would have also accepted Colin Hanks. How did Brian Cox get the role of Robert McKee? Greg. Greg. He yelled at Charlie Kaufman a lot. <laughs> I would love if that's true. <laughs> fuck off. You must oh, be in my uh, movie. Please be. Tell me to fuck off on stage. <laughs> Ryan. Ryan. They said he could not have the role, and he told them to fuck off, automatically giving you the role. Yeah. The real Robert McKee suggested he, he should be played by Brian Cox. That's pretty cool that he didn't say, like, George Clooney. Right. <laughs> no, I saw a picture of the real Robert McKee, and I kept being like, surely somebody posted Brian Cox here with no facial hair. They look pretty similar. Did you guys look up um, Chris Cooper's character? LaRoche? LaRoche. No. It's what does he look like? Different. <laughs> more, hip, more hillbilly-ish. Yeah, more uh, Appalachian, I would say. Mm. True or false? It's confusing keeping track of who plays themselves and who's playing a character. Greg. Ryan. Greg. True. I often had to remind myself that, like, I'm watching the movie and, like, not the movie that the character is writing, but that the movie that the guy actually wrote, and that's what I'm looking at. Like, I caught myself so confused about that so many times. Ryan. Ryan. False. I'm an adult who doesn't only watch yeah. Despicable Me movies. I I love my dear friend Greg. Ryan. <laughs> you tricked me to saying that. <laughs> Fuck you. What? <laughs> Greg. <laughs> what other movie shows the entirety of life on Earth? Greg. Ryan. Greg. Oh man, I remember the director, but I, I just realized I remember the director. But it's Terrence Malick, right? Fuck. What the? I but I don't remember. Ryan. Oh. Ryan. The Tree of Life. Greg will get a half point suggestion. I thought about it the whole time I was watching Ryan. the movie. Both times I watched it, I was like, Terrence Malick did the same thing. But in what movie, Greg? Which movie, Tree of Life or Adaptation, is harder to pitch to somebody who's just sort of into movies? Greg. Ryan. Greg. Tree of Life is the hardest movie to pitch to people that are just sort of into movies. It's about dinosaurs for like 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I had a friend who unfortunately walked in just in the last third and sat down of Adaptation, and I, he enjoyed it. But I'm like, oh, you think this movie's stupid? Because that's all you've seen is the stupid part of it. What are you fucking 24? You just have friends walking in and sitting down to watch movies. I have learned. Lock when your you door. Get old, when you get old enough and don't have kids, your life does start to uh, <laughs> regress, relapse <laughs> in certain ways. Did, uh, they, did he bring is... over his N64? <laughs> <Yeah>. Mario Kart. <laughs> Good call. Battle we do Mario Kart a lot. Uh, how is this movie connected to one of Mike's favorite Nick Cage movies? Ryan. Greg. Ryan. Um, they're both bringing out the dead. <laughs> Greg. Greg. They have the same lead actor that you like. Well. Right? What did you say, Mike? Ryan. That is one of the aspects, but that feels a little. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan. Ryan. They both have Nicolas Cage voiceover. Hmm. God help you if you use voiceover. <laughs> Greg, you get one more pick. Um, they both have Brian Cox in them. 
Con Air also has Nicolas Cage, John Cusack, and John Malkovich in it. Oh, wow. John what Cusack does, does walk through a scene. <laughs> and John Malkovich has a bigger scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, name one other actor from Con Air. Ryan. Ryan. Uh, Dave Chappelle. Greg. Ryan. Good pull. Greg. Steve Buscemi. Ryan. <laughs> okay. Colm Meany. Who's that? Oh, damn. The, the guy from The Next Generation and from Star Trek Deep Space Nine? He's the curly haired guy. Oh, yeah. Ryan. Dude, I love Colm Meany. You guys think we can get yeah. Colm Meany on the show? I think we could. I heard he's not he's nice. He's a union man. Oh, really? Uh, I'm, I, no, he's I'm a bit of a meanie. Joking. I don't want to have mean people on the show. Uh, Ryan. <laughs> Ryan. Monica Potter. Who that? That's Nicolas Cage's wife in the movie. Someone else on Connor. Ryan. Ryan. No, no, uh, Greg, the, the, the C-130, the plane. Ving Rhames. That is Con Air. The Las Vegas okay. Strip. <laughs> no, well, those are people. Now, you guys, I, I like I like the breadth and depth you're going to, but the <laughs> trivia is done. <laughs> Gosh darn it, did we learn a lot about adaptation. We all had a lot of fun. We're going to take the quickest break, and when we come back, more adaptation, and maybe more Con Air. Taste Friends. Our final real question of the evening. Spike Jones's being John Malkovich in adaptation seemed to be more fondly remembered than the movies Kaufman wrote and directed. Synecdoche, New York, Animalesia, and I'm thinking of endings. What does Spike Jones bring to the table in adaptation that Kaufman might not have? I think that Spike Jones does have an audience in mind. And I'm not saying that necess- it's easy to say that Kaufman detests his audience. And I think that uh, this world's Charlie Kaufman might. Our 616 Kaufman, I don't think does. But there's a lot less hand-holding. And I know that that's what we love, right? Like, don't you never touch our hands because we want to figure everything out. But Kaufman goes places. And those I have, like, various thoughts on those three movies. Like, I think that one is wildly good and then down from there. Um, but, like... Spike Jones really wants to, people to like get it, you know, and mm. not in uh, like a punch drunk love way, like we were talking about last week, but still, like I think that there's a little bit more Hollywood pizzazz, and I, I don't mean that to be negative. I really mean that in a positive. I I think he's like a lot more fun and lively with the camera. I think that um, mm. he shows like I think he gets a lot more realistic performances out of his actors i think that there's like a whole attitude that you need and maybe a lot of it actually goes into donald that comes from spike jones because he's just a lot more playful and maybe honestly a little bit dumber than charlie kaufman and for that reason like a little more genuine well and it's i I think it is what both of you are saying is he i think he also likes cool out their ideas but he's like but what if people got him yeah and it's it's not like dumber so much as like less lofty less like academic less like mm-hmm. unreachable you know like, like he's friends with the jackass guy so he has his foot firmly planted in dumbass and i mean he's a he he was a director of commercials and a director of music videos and in that uh-huh. way he communicates with like image a lot more effectively in a lot of ways i think than charlie kaufman does who is first and foremost <laughs> like you know a wordsman I think that the worst of those three movies that you mentioned, Mike, was is Synecdoche, New York. I think that this is a movie that has a ton of good things, but like ultimately falls apart underneath the weight of itself. 
in the amount it tries to accomplish. And that's, that's maybe that's it is that Spike Jones can see a movie in his head and accomplish his goals. Like, Oh, I get all the things that you're trying to do. Let's turn it into scenes with dialogue and let's create a movie. And I think that synecdoche is sort of a smattering of ideas, ultimately thrown up on the screen. And like, almost tricks people into saying it's smart. I don't want, like we were talking about earlier, I don't want to not get it. Therefore I'll right. get it. And it's I, like, it's I kind like of the other, you go, it's kind of designed to collapse under its own weight. Right. But, but that's, then when it, when it does that, it's not very satisfying <laughs> to right. have it happen. And it feels like a, I don't know, like an emergency slide that was put underneath it too. Like just in case this falls apart, <laughs> it was all on purpose. It's on you guys. Ha, look at me. Tongue in cheek. Where I do, I wonder if he learned from that because I don't. There's other issues with Anomalisia, and I'm thinking of ending things, but I don't think it's that. But he does. He's more a little more antiseptic as a director than yes, Spike Jones is. And so if we were if we were looking at two movie theaters, not knowing what the movies were, two new movies, and one was Coffin Jones, the other one was Coffin Coffin. I'm going to the Coffin Jones. I think that all three of those movies get better as they go along. I think I'm thinking of ending yeah. things ranks among. Being John Malkovich and adaptation, um, but still, like, I like the approachableness. I like the uh, there's like a love of humanity that's on the screen when yes. Spike Jones makes it. When he has these group shots, they're having a good time and they're like, it's awkward and it's cringy, but right. they're enjoying each other. And, I, and there I, seems I wonder... like something redemptive about people through his his lens. Greg. Well, but his his non uh, his non Kaufman movies have done varying degrees of well but it, it, you, you get a uh, jackass uh where the wild things are her her it are also all about how do you connect with people but there's and I, I do think i i love her love jackass but i do think when i i often for whatever reason where the wild things are is the first spike jones non-coffin movie i think of and i'm like uh eh, does he need kaufman too and it's clear he doesn't but i do think they bring out the best in each other yeah i and like i think her is might be the best out of all these movies that we've talked about. Yeah. It's been a while since I've seen it. You know, maybe there's some of it that doesn't ring true anymore. But no, dude, uh, it's it, it's also very timely. I mean, it it re- it's not it's nuts that it was made ten years ago because it's very much about like what's emerging just now, which is mm-hmm. these a- AI companions, which is like a thing that is happening now and will only get more popular. Are you saying her is him, <laughs> as the kids would say? Uh, but I think where the wild things are definitely needs to be rewatched by me because basically what Greg said, like. We we have we put so much so many expectations on this. This is a you know beloved director by us who's making this beloved book by right. beloved by everyone, and so we have this image of it. And what he wanted was to do the same thing that Max did in that movie or in that book, which is go and play and mm. recreate the spirit of the book, right. if not the you know exact plot by plot point of a thirteen page book. Right, <laughs> that is hard to do. Should he have done what Kaufman did here and? Talked about how hard it is to make a movie of a 13-page book and uh, had Spike Jones go play with the monsters on an island. I feel like we one is enough for this particular <laughs> no. genre. Every adaptation should be this. <laughs> it's interesting that he that Kaufman does go on to make an adaptation that he totally stays out of and stays out of the way of in um, I'm Thinking of Ending Things because that's a novel first. And then he adapts it and without putting himself in it and basically being faithful to the book... The book is full of its own weirdness, but he doesn't like get in the way of that. He just highlights mm. what is already there. I, yeah, I think that where the wild things are, and I'm thinking of ending things, are the two of them like 
creating their own perfect playgrounds to play in, you know? And I don't want to watch Coffins, Where the Wild Things Are, or just Spikes, I'm thinking of ending things. I wish their titles were shorter. Man. (laughs) Those are two of the longest movies to have to say over and over and over again. (laughs) Her. That's a good-ass title. Her. Her. Adaptation. It. Single word. They're all, as every movie should just be one word, gosh darn it. I don't want to see King Kong, Lord of Monsters. I want to see King. And I then know I'll watch it's about Kong. the big monkey. Yes, the sequel is Kong, then Lord, then of, then monster. Are they at the point where it should be Charlie Kaufman's I'm Thinking of Ending Things? Like, did, I bet. Do you guys know there was a movie that came out this week seats? called Guy Ritchie's The Covenant? Is Guy Ritchie no. at the point where he's name above yeah. title? That feels like... you. I didn't used to have to put it on title and people would just know. Uh-huh. And now I'm like, no, come on, guys, please. Guy Ritchie's still cool. <laughs> people still like Guy Ritchie. Tyler Perry made billions of dollars doing this. So, mm-hmm. I mean, but then do you remember Lee Daniels, the butler? Like, who, what? Who the fuck? Tyler Perry's Lee Daniels, the butler. <laughs> Starring Larry the Cable Guy. Speed round. It's not trivia. <laughs> Question the first. Do I have an original thought in my head? My bald head? Ryan? Greg. Ryan? <laughs> uh, one or two? Ryan. Greg? I mean, that's... I, I- I think it's. I think originality is really overblown. I think that overrated. The that, yeah, the people that most cling to originality, I can point to where your original ideas existed in culture mm-hmm. five hundred years ago, if not more. Like we go back to the Greeks, everybody, and we like are just doing the same shit that they were doing. But it's okay because we're new. We're what's new. The ideas don't have to be. We are. Are Greeks the original Simpsons? Dude, they really are. Yeah. They did it. They did it all. I think that's one of the smartest things Dumb Donald says in this movie is when he's, I guess he's quoting McKee, but he's like, you just got to know your genre and you know your beats and then you just play in that genre. Yeah. That's all you have to do. Uh, and it's like, yeah, man, stop overthinking everything. And it's why I always go back to Ebert's. A movie's not what it's about, but how it's about it because whatever story you're telling has been told, but right. you've never told this story. So how are you going to tell it? And, you know, we are kind of one of the only generations of people who worry about, like, original plotting for a story. Mm. Throughout history, everybody knew the plot of most stories. It was just how do you get there and how do you connect those, those steady beats? But it's for, like, the last, like, 50, 70, 100 years, we've been obsessed with plot over every other device in film and in literature. And so we need everything to feel novel, even though there's no chance of that. And we're also the generation who pitches things like uh, Die Hard. In a building. <laughs> Imagine. That's the Rock and Summer Blair movie, right? <laughs> exactly. Would you be able to hang out with Streep and her friends at their dinner party, or would you excuse yourself to use the bathroom and then kill yourself? I <laughs> I could handle it. Like the way she's like, no, let me tell the story. Or just like the way that like they all make fun. Chris Cooper's character, what's his name again? LaRoche. LaRoche. There's look. Whatever. But the way that they do it drives me up the wall. Yeah. He Why? at least has the courage to say, I'm probably the smartest person I know. They just try to work that into every other fucking thing they say. Mm. Mike, can we cut to a clip of us on the podcast saying that exact same thing? Just, oh, just all three of us over and over again. 
Is it hard for this particular podcast, speaking of which, to understand the experience of feeling like a fat loser who hates the hell out of himself? Yeah, I couldn't connect to that part where the opening of the movie is like a minute and a half of him just talking about like all the personality flaws he has. Couldn't be me. Wouldn't know what that's like. The only difference between this movie and my real life is that I'm one of triplets and my brothers are named Mike and Greg. <laughs> we all work together and, and sweat together. At least two of you got good heads of hair. <laughs> what what should we, what are we to make of his constant self-criticism? I, I, exactly what he says, which is just another form of navel-gazing. Like, uh, self, right. like, self-criticism is still self-obsession. Even if you find yourself wanting, you're still only thinking about yourself. Right. You ever, like, go to put on a shirt and then think, oh, I wore that shirt last time I saw these people, and that's going to look weird? They don't fucking right. know, and they don't care. It's only you in your head that you think people care about this shit, and this is him to a crippling degree. Like, he thinks that he's put upon, but really he is putting himself upon all like just it's such main character syndrome you know that's he, he thinks that everyone is thinking about him constantly and that's such a weight for him nobody cares remember the part where he says wait Catherine keener's at my house yeah because donald walked up to Catherine keener and talked to her and actually invited her over and she said yes because she's a perfectly lovely and totally enchanting woman but you never even gave her like the chance to mm. reject you right like she ne- right. like so you made that decision for her and now you're sad she's at your house why why bother to be sad about it you are what you love not what loves you is what donald says to charlie when they're in the swamp we discussed this a little does the movie believe that i mean i think that it's just you know the whole movie is trying to bring uh charlie and donald together and so if it doesn't believe that specifically, I think it believes much like it believes in a lot of different things somewhere in between Charlie and Donald that we're trying to get to at the end. Now, the end is sort of a fake out because it's scary, dude. It's scary to feel any strong way about anything that happened in the last third of this movie. Yeah, it, it feels like being pranked. The movie is <laughs> right. aiming for this Hollywood ending. And so like, yeah. it's all sort of false. But I think that you're sort of supposed to be able to pick and choose what that middle ground is without the direct evidence in the last 30 minutes. I was going to say, the follow-up, does once they start following Susan is when it's Donald Kaufman's film, and does the movie believe anything at that point? I think so, yes. I think that, like, I, I think that you believe what you believe, and I think that we could go through and list, you know, how Charlie is searching for this middle ground between him and Donald in the conversation next to the log when they're being hunted, but it, it is difficult because of the way that the movie presents itself. I think you have to kind of look at it the way we looked at um, Mulholland Drive, which is that it is both a commentary on the thing and is kind of the thing at the same time. So that the movie works on a literal level and a figurative level. And so I do think we have to do the scary thing, which is we have to open our hearts up to something that is potentially mocking us. And we have (laughs) to say, I accept your message. I think it's beautiful. Even though you might be able to pull up the rug out from under our feet and go, oh, yeah, well, I was just fucking around when I said that. And we have to expose ourselves. We have to be vulnerable with the message of the movie, even though it's scary. Right. Which is something that Donald is not afraid of doing. Yeah, you know? totally. Like, Donald will and go he's out He's the spirit do... of that in this, right? Right. I, I think that the last 30 minutes has way more truth in it than the entirety of Con Air. Whoa. That... Yeah. Whoa. I'll go I don't fucking know if you can that. just say that. You can't. And you lost a Ryan, um, sorry, behind the curtain here. Do you want me to edit that out, the thing you said about Con Air? 
Uh, I'd rather watch a. <laughs> I could drop it if you want. I'd rather watch a blow dryer that has Con Air written on it than the movie Con Air. Okay, I'm making notes here, Ryan, because I assume you're going to also later email me to say to take this part out. So I'm just noting down what time yeah. it is. You know, we have the writer and director of Con Air coming to us next <laughs> season. Fucking bring him. Put him in the ring with me. <laughs> are we doing a punch pod next time? Punch pod. In the ring. I don't know what that means, but hell yes, we are. In the <laughs> ring with boxing gloves. Keep your hands gloves. up at all times. <laughs> I will put a net around both those fools and punch the shit out of their face. Punch them. <laughs> how? Nope. I was just going to read a Why? drop pad thing of how does one suck a fuck? The title of the film has multiple meanings. Yes or no? Ryan, yes. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Because there's like adapting something, but there's also changing yourself, allowing yourself to grow. And there's also Ryan. looking at adaptation as a concept in the animal kingdom. Many layers, Mike. Would you do any drug LaRoche handed you? Green Coke? <laughs> yeah. Uh, green Coke for days, my friend. Let me snort that matcha powder, man. I got to get that up in my nose. That's going to feel great. I love how she's like, no, I'm not going to do it. And then he mails it to her. And as yeah. soon as she opens it, she's like, oh, man, I'm going to snort all this stuff. <laughs> I'm going to do this first chance I get. Susan Orlean and I have a lot in common that way. <laughs> yeah, dude. We I'll are the kind of dudes. Anything in the you, mail. If you hand us a drug, we're just like, well, yeah, we'll do this drug. <laughs> let's just make let's make a promise right now. If I mail Greg Green Coke, Greg mails Mike, Mike mails me. We all get Green Coke on the same day. We're gonna do it, call each other, and dial tone the night away. Dude, and just like put our feet right in the foreground. Oh, what the fuck? <laughs> Was that did Quentin? Did Quentin do one scene of this? <laughs> Does this movie argue that there's such a thing as being too smart? Like, maybe you shouldn't be dumb, but also maybe don't get so smart that you somehow become dumb again? <laughs> Does this movie argue that? <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, yes. I mean, I don't know. Man, how do you get points? <laughs> I think that it argues that a li- being kind of smart is is a good thing, but that there is very much an upper limit to where you you just will immiserate yourself if you are right. any smarter. And so it's better just to be like, it's better to know the basic information than it is to know the next level of information, which then causes you to suffer. But I think that like that's there's so many things you can do about that. You know, like I think you have to love yourself, and then you can be as smart as you you are. You know, I think that that Medicate, maybe yeah. I don't think Charlie's intelligence made himself hate. I think he would have self hated no matter how smart he was. I don't know. Do dummies self hate? They're so dumb. I don't think They're so. Too dude. dumb. I, I think it, it's it's the it's the the problem of an overactive mind. I think I, people that don't constantly like think about themselves and don't think about anything, they just they don't suffer as much. Every time they're about to self hate, they'll put a fucking giant pot on their head and run into a wall. Fucking dummies. <laughs> that game is fun. Technology versus horse. <laughs> I mean, I, that's like one of the ultimate conflicts you're going to see in literature. You know, Mike, that as a fan of the uh, mutant ruler apocalypse. Technology plus horse for me. Ooh. Combine those. The book ends with Erlene never finding the ghost orchid, and the movie explores what would happen had she, which is the better ending. I love the ending of the of the book, and I wish there was a way to make the movie. Like, I love the movie as it exists, but I wish there was a way to make the movie that Charlie Coffin first envisions this as, potentially. That idea of, like, oh, yeah, and then I never saw it. Like, I don't know. I think that's so beautiful and kind of haunting, right? Like, it, mm. it it's supposed to be this nullity, this space that you feel something about, but you never get to, like, fill in any way. And it's that absence is precious. The thing that hit me so hard about this recent watch, by the way, that I talked about in the beginning of the show, is that uh, I just always sort of took Susan's 
thoughts as voiceover as like she's in a screenplay and this is how characters do not realizing how much the movie shows that in her book she's having a difficult time wrapping her head around it and so as a new yorker essayist she puts herself into her own story that's a lot easier to do when you're a new yorker essayist uh but it's clearly how what gave Kaufman the idea and how Kaufman kept the spirit i can't do i can't make a linear plot out of this but right. I can keep the spirit alive by becoming this version I, of Susan Orlean. I wish there was footage of his face after two years of trying to crack it and realizing what she did is what he has to do. And I assume it's just like Nick Cage's biggest smile. Man, if he were if he were an essayist, that would be literally the first thing he thought of because that is the <laughs> essayist's initial move for everything. He's like, okay, I have to write about this lobster festival. I'll oh, I'm already about typing. Me being at the Lobster Festival. <laughs> oh, I have to write about this cruise. Oh, I'll write it about be- me being on this cruise. Wow, you're coming for one guy. Yeah, I guess I'm just <laughs> listing one essayist over and over again. Despite making 3,000 movies over the last five years that we will never watch, Ducage's classic movies, of which there are many, like Con Air, continue to prove that he may be our greatest living actor. I, I forget this. All of the time. I think that this is like our fifth, fourth, third Nicolas Cage movie, maybe. Um, I think we did a pig show around the pandemic. Yeah, we did around when they come out 21. Yeah. Um, and then we did, famously, we did Face Off. Um, and there's, Color Out of Shape or whatever that Oh, we did a Color Out of Shape. Uh, that's it, right? We did Ghost Rider on our sister show. Um, <laughs> but I do think that like... Thinking about the rest of his oeuvre, where it's whether it's Raising Arizona, Moonstruck, uh, Leaving Las Vegas, there's all of these movies that will probably make the bracket, and a lot of it is because of him. And yeah. I think that there's so much of his weirdness that makes him, mm-hmm. in the same way that like Tom Cruise, although I don't think he's as good of an actor as Cage, uh, makes it easy to like laugh at him instead of like herald him. Like I think he's 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 just the fucking best, bro. If I said the over-under on questions the character Charlie Kaufman asks women about their ideas or lives is 1.5. Under. It's an under, right? I think he at one point says to his violinist girlfriend, right? Like that. And he pitches his voice up at the end. But he just literally will not ever ask a woman anything about what she's thinking or what her life is or why she like... Like he just never engages with them. And I think I think that's Charlie Kaufman, the writer, making fun of Charlie Kaufman, the man, and probably like... Because I don't think he really is like that, but yeah. you see that a lot in the character. Our final question of the evening. This is at the end when Donald has dead and blood's coming out of his mouth. Did you guys expect him to start singing like the clown from Billy Madison? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I wish. Mike, I have a speed round question real quick. Please. If I may. Do you guys think that there should be a sequel to the sequel, Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans starring Nicolas Cage called Bad Lieutenant Port of Call Sue Orlean starring <laughs> Nick Cage and Sue Orlean. I think you know that I do, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, that was an obvious one. Yeah. That is all the time we have for our speed round. We're going to take the quiz breaks when we come back. It's award season. <laughs> well, that is very, very funny or very sad. And perhaps now you have something to think about. Or very problematic, and perhaps we have something to think about. But in any event, I'm sure you have some reaction to what you're listening to. So why not check us out on the social media? You can go to Instagram or Twitter and find us at Your Pop Filter. Email 
contacts at your pop filter. Hey, everybody. Keep watching them movies. It is time to give some awards. Gentlemen, can you believe that Adaptation was nominated for four Academy Awards and won one? I can't believe any fucking fact you ever say, Mike. You can or cannot? Cannot. If they won Oscars, I'm like, what the fuck? If they didn't, what the fuck? You know? Yeah. I don't know what to believe anymore. Seriously. Good. Chris Cooper won for Best Supporting. Oh, dang. This just feels like too cool of a movie for the Oscars to give awards to, so I was pleasantly surprised. I think that's why you bring in Spike Jones. Is he he like mm. brings together those like I'm gonna keep it cough and cool, but I'm gonna keep it Oscar hot. Dude, the more we talk about it, the more I'm like, I really think that Spike Jones just is Donald. Yeah. Just like <laughs> he's in the movie too, and that's who it is. Like, oh and then you know what we'll do, bro? We'll make it kind of dumb. That way people watching it know what's going on. Do you know what movie we did not fucking do as part of our first season, which is a travesty? I don't think we did. It's been a long time. Dude, um, yeah. But he, uh, what, what he said in that movie, do you remember it, Greg? I'm sorry, what? Mike, do you what? remember? What? He, in a 1999 movie, a movie that we did not do for movie of the year, he said, yeah. Spike Jones. Spike Jones is in this movie. In the, in the year that he directed being John Malkovich, he said, and I quote, we three kings be stealing oh, your gold. Yeah. Three kings. Right. And Man, it's, yeah. it's really hard to separate that Spike Jones from the guy <laughs> in my head who directed this movie. Same I, guy. I really do think that we just couldn't fit that one in, that that was like the ninth or tenth movie. We didn't, didn't know. We could it. just do 16-round season. <laughs> yeah, you just totally changed the rules. We'd learned. We've grown. We've adapted. <laughs> Let's give some awards. Love the out. pause there. Love Dude, the yeah, pause. Yeah, he really sat on that. That was great. Waited for the yes. audience to applaud. Sneaky. Oh, oh, oh. Where? Oh, oh crap. <laughs> <laughs> Very hard to predict how this audience will react. Uh, best sneaky funny line. Ryan, starting with you. Uh, okay. I, I, I hope I did this right. Um, all the lines are funny to me. Everyone, even the one where Donald dies. But uh. The one that made me laugh, but doesn't necess- wasn't necessarily like a laugh out loud joke in the script. I hope uh, it was Meryl Streep is talking to uh, Jordy LaForge. I will never remember his name. <laughs> Gambit, <laughs> Remy LeBeau. Talking to Remy LeBeau, and um, he's explaining uh, stuff and he used the word proboscis and. He's t- talking like I'm the smartest guy I know, and all like facts nonstop, just a fact machine. And then she says, "I know what a proboscis is." She says, "Okay, this isn't a pissing contest, goddamn." <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. like, "All right, it's not a contest." Dude, you're the one. You're the one who just went Charles Darwin. Oh, uh, the evolution <laughs> guy. Yes, I know who Charles Darwin is. And I know that Droppad likes to steal things from movies and play them. And I think, okay, this isn't a pissing contest. Would, <laughs> he would say oh, that a lot sure. on this podcast. Right. Oh, drop pad, get on that. Greg, what is yours? Uh, it's when the brothers are talking. There's never been a movie about flowers before. And Donald goes, well, flowers to Algernon. And he goes, uh, that's not a movie. And then uh, Donald, like, at the same moment goes, oh, I never saw it. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good one. Uh, mine, and maybe this is too obvious and should be a laugh line, but uh, Remy LeBeau saying, that's how much fuck fish. 
<laughs> yeah, dude. Uh, really got me. I was like, can I just put that on a shirt? Will anybody get that? Like, See, I think that's a that's a, a good example. It's like there are laugh lines in this movie, and there's a lot of them. And then there's lines where, like, the third time you see it, it makes you laugh really hard. Mm-hmm. But nobody watching it for the first time would. But it's because you, like, know who the characters are at this point, And you just you can give a little bit extra attention to what they're saying in between the funny jokes. I legit think that Samson DeHaul, played by Chris Cooper in this movie, should get more <laughs> credit for creating like the wave of late 90s, early 2000s, um, Dolor, like this Will Ferrell, uh, Steve Carell mm. character of like uh, no self-awareness. Yeah, like yeah. he's right there. That's a good call. Cage moment that should have been Travolta. Greg? Okay. Uh, this is probably my favorite uh, Nick Cage moment of the entire movie, and it's when um, Charlie wants to send in the Donald to go talk to Susan Orlean because he just can't face it. And but he's like, "But you have to act like me." And so Donald acts like neither one of them has ever acted <laughs> in the entire movie at any other point, even a little bit. But it very much reminds me of John Travolta the way he does. Like he asks a question, the way he puts his pen in his mouth and kind of looks up <laughs> through his eyebrows. Uh, it is probably my favorite part of the movie because it's just he's totally different than at any, at any point when you see him, and I think Travolta could have pulled it off. Mike, that this is, is uh, you go. This is also my moment. Um, I, it's what? possible that the board, when watching this movie, got to the scene and then thought of this award to give us. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> but all I could think is how fucking amazing it would have been. I, I know not everybody is the face-off fans that we are. But they if be. they John, should be right, yeah. John Travolta in uh, Charlie Kaufman gear walked into that office, it would have been the greatest scene in movie history. I would have def jammed around the house. <laughs> uh, mine is you both get points because you agreed, and that that is a great one. It was uh, just for if it was for one second, and it was just gonna push in the bush. Yeah, that's John Travolta, and nothing else is. <laughs> See, I thought that, but like that's such a cage thing to do, you know, like just but, that screaming out loud. Travolta trying to be Cage is the creepiest thing ever. Also from our favorite movie, Face Off. So, uh, oh my God, this fucking push in the bush. Oh my God, Sandy, I'm dancing. <laughs> cringiest moment, Ryan. Uh, my cringiest moment is Meryl Streep is lying on the bed and the camera's right above her. And then all of a sudden, all 10 fucking <laughs> little foot fingers come onto the screen. That happened. I was like, well, I know Ryan's cringe. Yes. It's, there's a lot of Meryl Streep's feet in this movie, and uh, there is. I don't. There's a lot of Streep in this movie. She's quite. She's enchanting in this we, movie. Meryl Streep is in a movie that we did, and we barely talked about her. Oh my oh, god! Yeah, does that make not. us Charlie? Um, yeah. We. I think we're just obsessed with him. So yeah, I guess it does yeah. make us. Uh, <laughs> I. I am a um a ch- a child a childless middle aged man. Uh, and part of being a child mi- childless middle aged man yeah. is uh. You have never seen a baby uh, actually come out of a woman before. <laughs> oh shit! Before watching this movie, and like, I think I knew the dimensions at play, but like the reality of like a human skull emerging <laughs> from the vagina of a woman is like nature. You need some other. There needs to be some adaptation. Let's say, like th- this is insufficient to the task. It feels like. Uh, <laughs> And both times, I forgot that it was going to happen, and it, when it when it did, I handled it like someone who uh, has no experience with this at all. And I was just like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. I don't know. Why is that's that drunk man barfing a football? 
<laughs> you, you know what the human body is built for? You know how like Marvel toys, you you get like your toy of the blob, and then like Galactus's arm, and you'd have to get yes. them all built. Yeah. Like you should get one baby part out of each orifice. Like yes, <laughs> poop a leg, barf an arm, and then put them together once they're all out. Because that the shit is ridiculous. The baby should be beamed out of the person, like, with a teleporter. And the person should never have to experience any part of that. What if it falls it, like falls into your head and then digs into your head, and then you pull a butt cheek off, and then you bury it, and then nine months later, a baby comes out? Well, that that's, would be beautiful. That's how Zeus had Athena, right? Yes. <laughs> pound for pound performance. Greg. Okay, this is impossible. Like, this is just so impossible. There are so many heavy hitters. I'm going to go with um, Nick Cage, though, because, uh, like, Meryl Streep was in this movie, you guys. Chris Cooper won an Oscar for this movie. But I forgot that Nick Cage was just one guy playing two guys a lot of the time. Uh, He's so funny as Donald. He's so miserable uh as charlie kaufman he does not for most of the parts he doesn't seem anything like nick cage at all really like anything Mm -hmm. about my my picture of him he disappeared into two different roles three if you count the interview persona and i do (laughs) it's a good call ryan uh mike as you know i have my non-coward rule so i'm gonna agree (laughs) with the oscars and say chris cooper um, there is the co- the comedic aspect as if this was a broad comedy, which he's bringing all the time. But and we can quote Chris Cooper lines like "fuck fish." That's why fuck like that's that should be a shirt. You're right. Or the very, that's how much fuck fish. That's how much fuck <laughs> movie fish. of the year. Or if you could change your big mouth Billy Bass to stop singing and just say that. <laughs> that's how about a- fear Ryan. women? Fuck fish. <laughs> <laughs> but. <laughs> Watching him do what he does as this person who is full of confidence until he's not, I think is so impressive. When he realizes that Meryl Streep is losing interest, yes, you know, like he Chris Cooper understands what he looks like, what he smells like, or uh, LaRoche understands what he looks like, what he smells like, what his job is, and he knows that he sort of coasts on this weird charisma and energy. When Meryl Streep is losing interest, he fucking loses his shit. You know, yeah. him telling the story about the car accident that he got his family into. And then to talk, like there's all of that, all of the multiple things that he's doing throughout multiple scenes. But then my favorite, and this is Donald adaptation as opposed to Charlie, but Mm -hmm. he's chasing Charlie around his house naked in the last 30 minutes and then finds out who he is. And he's like, well, shit, man, who's going to play me? Just like, (laughs) just changes again. With his cute little tushy. His little tushy's in the air. That's an Oscar-winning actor with just the the most adorable little tushy. I thought you were going to say that's an actor-winning ass. Director's signature moment. Ryan? The amount of street feet? No. No. Uh, This is uh, group scenes like we talked about earlier. um, Bringing that sunshine of humanity that maybe Kaufman kind of can't figure out all the time. Um Anytime there's like uh, multiple people in the room, there is this warmth that just wouldn't be there. And like that is something that I think you could say for her. I think that he is rooting for humanity, rooting for his characters in a way that I think it's just hard for Kaufman to do. So it's not a camera movement thing. It's just a feeling of sunlight that you get. Is there a particular scene that does it the best? I really keep going to the push in the bush scene, even though it's 
that there is that one line that said like we have multiple ki- like it's it feels like an ensemble movie with mm-hmm. very realistic friends hanging out and being different but being together there's awkward moments like the violinist brought a boyfriend but it's it's played for reality as opposed to absurdity you know and i sort of think that's what he brings oh man when you were younger man did you ever like a woman and think that she was way out of your league and then she finally yeah she gets with a guy and it's like a total gomer and maybe even a gomer in the way that you're a gomer and it's like oh man did i blow that <laughs> holy cow it's like when cc started going out with that guy who's just a pinata on multiple tv shows and yes. brought him around schmidt i don't remember yes. his name but <laughs> robbie robbie that's his name in new girl at least robbie robertson I'm I'm gonna go for one uh, very specific element that just really made me think of Spike Jones, which is Spike Jones does this thing where um, he likes to take pretty actors and actresses and kind of like ug them up a little bit, um, but in like a very real way and kind of remove the Hollywood sheen and charm to them. And uh, for the most part, Donald's not like glamorous, but he's got more confidence than his brother. And I. I got the feeling early on, and maybe this is just totally me, but that he had like a fuller head of hair. But there's that scene I referenced it earlier where Donald's sitting on the ground writing and Charlie's looking like directly at the exact same hairline that he himself has. And you realize, oh, he's got like, they have the same hair, actually. I mean, they are twins. They look exactly alike. And I just felt like in that moment, like that sort of that crustiness that he puts on his leading men and women um really like comes through in that moment and it also syncs up with like a moment where you're you're understanding on a new level the humanity of donald Mm -hmm. because before the the perfect hair we've seen is again charlie's view of him because he's like he's everything i am better and that's like a reveal like no you just kind of suck it's this yeah that he's working with all the same stuff that you are and he's still decide like he's deciding to have confidence or if he's oblivious right. he's deciding to be a little oblivious and so it's like yeah he has a, all those same problems. Our final award is recommendation. Greg I got to do it to him. I'm sorry. I have been the way that uh Charlie is so deeply immersed in um the orchid thief I've been reading Hamlet and I'm the same thing where like I wake up at night and I like open it up with my highlighter and I'm highlighting parts of it. And so I've been a little obsessed with it recently. And on top of that, it is so meta theatrical Hamlet. Hamlet seems very much aware that he's in a play. He talks about plays nonstop. Mm -hmm. He mentions the globe theater and elements of it over and over and over again. He mentions the crowd. He talks to the crowd at several times. He makes fun of them. Um, And you know, this is also the same time as Don Quixote uh, and Cervantes is also messing with all this stuff and being metatextual and what is, you know, what am I allowed to do? What am I not allowed to do? And it kind of just, I was thinking of it in con- conjunction with this Hamlet and this because Hamlet's problem also is he's too much in his own head and he's obsessed with himself and that being obsessed with himself makes him just awful to everybody. Even if what he's doing most of the time is saying, I suck, it's still causing him to be awful because he's just so like maliciously sociopathically self-obsessed even if it's self-criticism most of the time and so i don't know if it's a totally stupid answer but hamlet no i think it's a sleeper that nobody's heard of (laughs) you guys should check out the biggest thing ever written in the english language if you said hamlet and crossed your arms i would have been like oh okay but no that's a good reasoning that's a good reasoning that's a good reasoning
Ryan. Uh, real quick, Mike, going back to the uh, director's signature, I didn't know if this was screenwriter signature or director's signature, but one last thing I wanted to bring up with you guys is the ending of this movie um, where basically Susan has passed the point of no return and she just kneels in the swamp and says, like, I want to be a baby again. I want to yes. be a baby again. I want to start over. I want to be a baby again, which is how being John Malkovich ends is that oh, yeah. they get to Whoa. restart themselves right. as like toddlers and just live a new life. And John Cusack is sort of like, he's the bad guy. So he like right. gets to watch gets from stuck. afar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he doesn't get to grow again. And I think that it's, a very interesting thing to have in both of their movies, uh, but also just sort of like the nature of storytelling in movies is like you you could just restart it. I don't know if that's part of like being a writer um, right. or like being a part of a video game player and you can just say like, fuck this, I'm going to buy the new video game and start playing it again. But like to the ability to just start the DVD over or the book over, you know, I think that there is something there. But it's also uh, that that's also like a major theme in the novel Infinite Jest, which came out just a few years before this and is a retelling of Hamlet. Hamlet. It always comes back to right. Hamlet. Damn. <laughs> and then, Ryan, do you have a recommendation? Yeah, I've been thinking for some reason I've been thinking about Cameron Crowe a lot recently. And uh, nobody knows exactly. If, like, nobody remembers when his career was officially over. Was it Elizabethtown? Yeah. Was it Aloha? <laughs> when... He was like, I need an Asian Emma Stone to yes. uh, be in my movie. Um, but just before that, on the downfall, was this movie called Vanilla Sky, which I think is caught somewhere between almost the heights of Almost Famous and the lows of Aloha. Um, and this movie needs to be rewatched by me. I don't know if it's great or bad or just fascinating. Maybe it, it might be fascinating in its awfulness. Mm. But the idea of... It's it's not about a screenwriter, but it it is about like what what is my reality, what is not, what do I choose to have my be my reality, um, what is sort of tech creating to be my reality, which is you know sort of like where we're at right now. Um, I do think that this movie and it's it's an adaptation as well. You know, it's an adaptation where he Cameron Crowe is trying to remake a Spanish movie for American audiences, but also Cameron Crowify it. Which that's another level of adaptation is right. I have to make it have this voice that is well established at this point after um, you know almost famous and Jerry Maguire and Fast Times and all of his scripts all of these scripts come out say anything um, I, I don't the two sort of fit together in this weird way I'm not saying Vanilla Sky's fucking Hamlet Mike and I'm sorry <laughs> but I do think that they no, gel together I, I that I think that's awesome. Uh, that's been on my to watch list forever because I, I used to always confuse it with Magnolia. Abre los ojos. I know I'm gonna do that. Uh, mine is uh, you guys put a lot of thought into yours. I think I did, but uh, if you want to see pathetic Nick Cage, it does not happen that many. The Weatherman. I think The Weatherman <laughs> is slept on. I really liked that movie. I don't know if it holds up, but if you want to see Nick Cage being a sad sack kind of piece of shit, is that where he takes like a- multiple milkshakes to the face? Yes, and Michael then starts Kane's walking around with too, a right? bow and arrow. Yeah, I think Michael so. Michael Caine rules in that, dude. Michael That's Kane. Michael Caine. Um, that is, I think, directed by Gore Verbinski, who directed Mouse Hunt. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the movie <laughs> Mouse, Mouse Hunt. Hunt's Gore Verbinski? <laughs> yeah, the, I might wow. be making all that up. The one and only. Well, gentlemen, let's talk about who won this week. It is 
was a high flying point gaining kind of week. Greg, you got sixty seven and a half points. Whoa, crazy! Not as much as last week, so no. you did take kind of a dip there. I did a dipsy uh, doodle, but still not something to knock. Yes. Uh, Ryan came out of the gate hungry with 74 points. Ryan, 74 points? Yes. From three points last week to 74 this week. The, the, I think that's the biggest point jump we've had. Thank you, Mike. There's a victory it's in between It's not a compliment. There. It's just, uh, where's the victory? Uh, punch drunk love. Oh. Yeah, there's also the other one. I forget when time lines mm-hmm, happen. Mm-hmm. Things happen. They go by. I forget shows I lose. For sure. Yes. That's good. I think that's that's a very Donald way to be. <laughs> Ryan, earlier when you said, uh, I, I don't think we did a show about the Three Kings, I was so proud to be like, no, we didn't. I know for a fact that we didn't do that. <laughs> well, how do we think adaptation is going to do? Very well. Can I... Yeah. <laughs> uh, I? Here's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of us not moving it ahead because we're so charlie-esque about it that we don't mm, i can nah, sort of i wouldn't worry right. about that i can sort of see that happening like oh we have to pick the uh more obscure smarter looking thing because otherwise we're just jerking off onto our chest right i i think that we kind of emphasized like not problematic elements but things that like we were exploring that maybe didn't sound like we were always being totally laudatory of the movie but i think behind all of that is like a deep profound respect for the film and it is interesting and it is like not complete after one viewing and it's like i I think it's got everything that you need out of a movie of the year movie but i have to say all of this stuff in order to vote for it later, I have to say all this precursory stuff. But now I feel like I'm saying this precursory stuff, and now I, I sound like a phony because I'm saying it. But now I feel like an actual phony because I'm calling yeah. myself a phony because I'm saying the precursory stuff. But are you just trying to call yourself out for being a phony as some way like, to legitimize what you're doing, but it's actually you're just even being more fake about it? But now you're doing that, so we can't call you a phony because you think that you, you're trying to prove that you're like the premier expert on phonies. And, and in the meantime, Silencio. Mike has been the most phony out of everybody. <laughs> yeah, not talking. <laughs> Fucking phony. Well, that has been Adaptation. Coming up the rest of the season, we have Catch Me If You Can. We have Lord of the Rings, The Twin Towers. We have 25th Hour. And we have Friend of the Show, Taylor Wilhite, will pop up a few what? times. All of that and so much more. Until then, keep watching those movies. So, 
While Americans overwhelmingly support the right of an individual to make their own decisions about abortion, unfortunately, that right is no longer protected anywhere in the U.S. The Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade on June 24th. Abortion is a basic health care need for millions of people who can become pregnant. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans. Even if you live in a state where abortion rights are upheld, access to safe medical procedures shouldn't be determined by location, and it shouldn't be the privilege of a small few. And we're already seeing certain medical practices be restricted even in those states. You can help by donating to local abortion funds. To find out where to donate for each state, visit donationsforabortion.com. That's the number four, donationsforabortion.com. If you or someone you know needs help or if you want to get more involved, here are five resources. One, Shout Your Abortion is a campaign to normalize abortion. Two, Don't Ban Equality is a campaign for companies to take a stand against abortion restrictions. Three, abortion.cafe has information about where to find clinics. Four, plantcpills.org provides early at-home abortion pills that you can keep in your medicine cabinet. And five, choice.crd.co. That's choice.crd.co has a collection of these resources and more. You can also find all the links to these resources at podvoices.help and in the show notes. We encourage you to speak up, take care, and spread the word.